Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Harry Morgan, Director of Investment Management in Tilney's Edinburgh office, and I'm talking today with Ben Seeger-Scott, Tilney's Chief Investment Strategist. Today, we're going to talk about how markets did in April, as well as take a look at the current economic climate across the globe and here in the UK. Before we begin, though, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carrying varying levels of risk depending on their geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Okay, great to see you, Ben. And last time we heard from you, you were sounding pretty cheery after a nice run in the markets in the first quarter. How do things go in April and are you still feeling upbeat? Well, April saw markets continue to drift higher. There was definitely a sense, though, that after that strong run, maybe markets are pausing for breath. And I think what's interesting, during April, we saw major US markets hit fresh all-time highs, Europe a little bit behind UK and emerging markets behind that as well. And it was interesting, as these markets hitting fresh all-time highs, there's not the level of exuberance you might normally see. So the outlook's still pretty positive. We've had some good data coming out, particularly out of China. Other data, though, is still a little bit mixed. And it's an ongoing theme. It is thing, uh, elements that we continue to talk about. And as we see some of these stimulus measures starting to come through, we are seeing signs of the data bottoming. And what you're getting is lots of positives on the one hand, but negatives on the other, we look at the, the US, the latest non-farm payrolls. There we had some very strong numbers in terms of jobs added, but the wages were a little bit soft. Now, these are very noisy data series, but I think what you're seeing at the moment is exactly what we'd expect when you have these policy effects coming through. We had that very negative quarter last year. We are still waiting for the data to fully bottom out and start to pick up. But picking through the pieces, there are some positive elements within those Also April, particularly the back end of April, and it will proceed through May, we have uh, earnings, particularly in the US corporate earnings season. That's a really important point for investors to really get a view from the bottom up, to see what companies are saying. These are the sort of reports as well as the numbers. It's around expectations and guidance. Some of the the earnings reports last year, some of the concerns companies talked about as the Fed uh, had begun tightening really spooked the market. So these points, hearing from companies, can affect sentiment. And so far, it's still early days, uh, sort of as we record this, but the evidence is, again, a little bit mixed, but no major concerns, and indeed some some rays of hope from the bottom up as well. But I think that's a theme that's going to develop over the coming weeks. That's some pretty good returns for investors so far this year. Yes, absolutely. Strong returns have been made year to date. A lot of that has been on the revaluation. And I think it's fair to say often it's called the easy money. It doesn't feel easy back in January when there's lots of negative sentiment. Investors are spooked. But when markets look cheap, these sort of revaluations tend to be short and sharp. And now really it is earnings that have to do the heavy lifting to move equities higher. It is a tends to be a sort of slower process, but it is still meaningful and the background is supportive. It's just not going to be as short and sharp as perhaps with the valuation movements. It's all great stuff, but as we head into May, we're going to see the usual rash of articles 
saying, is it time to sell in May and go away? Tell us a bit about this famous market expression and might sell in May and go away be a sensible strategy this year? Well, the, the, the phrase sell in May and go away, come back on St. Ledger's Day, uh, historically means that markets, if you look at seasonality, you look at some of the empirical data, over the long term, taking individual years, there's some suggestion that markets sometimes perhaps lag and, and dip a little bit through the summer months from May into September. I mean, it, I wouldn't call it a proper investment strategy. It is more an interesting historical pattern uh, in terms of some of the seasonality. The idea historically being that many people are on holiday between about May and September. If you're out of the market, generally there's not a lot of frenetic activity. Perhaps a lot of investors historically look to take some of their profits so they don't have to worry about it while they're on holiday. And if you look back long enough, there is some minor uh, empirical evidence that suggests there is this seasonal factor. Interestingly, if you go into the details, it tends to be more pronounced in Europe than the US. And actually, in Europe, you tend to have a longer summer holiday season. Holidays tend to be longer in Europe compared to the US. So there's some behavioural psychological factors, but it is far from certain and, and far from something you can rely on. If you just look back historically, there's all sorts of calendar-based uh, superstitions and ideas. People talk about Santa rallies, this euphoria you get uh, going into Christmas. Well, actually, if you'd done that last year, marketing a deer was on Christmas Day. So if you believe in Santa rallies, you'd have been disappointed last year. Also, if you look back to 2016, when we had the EU referendum, there as Sterling fell, all of your overseas exposure was, were up 10 to 15% in, in a, around a very short period. Equally, UK multinationals did very well as well, and you'd have missed out on that if you're out of the market. So it does seem very much like dangerous attempts at market timing, certainly not something I'd advocate. It is interesting. There's, there are some empirical anomalies, but it's for interest, I'd say, rather than a solid investment strategy. So we're going to enjoy our gains for the year and stay invested. I'm not selling me in May and go away. Great. I think we'll look at the US economy in more detail because it's such a powerful powerful economy. Lots of chat about a looming slowdown, possible recession later in the year. But from where I sit, the US numbers look out, look pretty good. So can you explain this pessimism and is it justified? There's lots of talk around in the market at the moment about recessions. Certainly, there are elements of being late cycle, lots of merger and acquisition activity. You can look in some of the, the finer details. You look in the debt market and as market cycles extend, you tend to have what are called covenant light issuances, which means when markets are more fearful, when you issue a bond, when you issue a loan, there's all sorts of restrictions on what a company can and can't do. Increasingly, as, as markets become a little bit more greedy, they tend to just give the money away a little bit more freely. There's some evidence of that as well. And I think a lot of the concerns really stemmed from the back end of last year, what we always say, bull markets don't die of old age, they're murdered by the Fed. And as we covered in much more detail last month, this time last year, the Fed was actively talking about hiking rates. And that's when uh, businesses became fearful. And it was the earnings reports last year that helped accelerate those, those concerns. And that's why people were talking about a recession. I think now where we stand with the looser Fed policy that we've talked about, companies are, are that much more bullish that likelihood has pushed out a little further. Throughout this year, if you've got loose monetary policy, you still have fiscal stimulus in the US, a hangover from the, the points announced in 2017. And importantly, as we look to next year, presidential election year, 
there's a likelihood that we could see some more stimulus, so potentially pushing things further out. Uh, it's not a zero-sum game, though, and I think there are some reasons to be concerned, particularly if you have monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus and other measures as well coming in when the economy is looking relatively constrained that could lead to inflationary pressures. And if we see inflation reasserting itself, that's what could really take the wheels off this ride. But there's no sense that that is particularly imminent. And does the Fed still take a close interest in the stock market, do you think? Indirectly. It's very controversial to say that that the Fed is interested in the stock market because officially they shouldn't. Officially, they're there to look after unemployment or the employment rate uh, and inflation and keep it around a steady level. So officially, they don't. They do have an un- a secondary objective, almost unofficial objective, to try to maintain market stability. The idea is that if you control inflation and employment, everything else will, will naturally follow. But there are secondary effects if investors start to get too fearful, if equity markets fall, uh, particularly around housing markets as well, if house prices start to fall, you have wealth effects. If people are uncertain, they're less likely to spend. If there's any uncertainty at all, they increase their saving. That doesn't go into the economy and that leads to a downturn. So certainly the Fed will look at wealth effects. They look at the health of the economy and consumption and equity markets as a sort of sentiment indicator is something that they that they will pay attention to. But first and foremost, it, it is going to be around inflation. There is some evidence that they will let inflation run slightly hot. The signals, and I know we talk periodically about the signals from central banks, when they talk about symmetrical inflation targets, that is code for, because it's been running cool, we'll let it run a little bit hot. So if you see inflation picking up, they're trying to signal, don't worry immediately, we're not going to have knee-jerk reactions. But if inflation does start picking up meaningfully, then I think all better off and you could see a change in stance. It's going to be amazing, though, that you refer to the US presidential election, which is, is increasingly imminent. How do you think that might affect the economy and indeed the markets over there? I think it's increasingly likely there'll be some form of fiscal stimulus. Yeah. Incumbent presidents, in fact, all incumbent governments, they like to engender positive sentiment and positive feeling around times of election. Obviously, they want to get re-elected. And what you often see is government saying, right, we're going to in- induce this feel-good factor by giving people tax breaks, increasing their tax-free allowance, reducing their income tax, and trying to boost the economy. So by the time of the election, they can say, look how strong the economy is being boosted by the government. Now, the change in the US in terms of the House of Representatives, now controlled by the Democrats, makes some historical forms of fiscal expenditure harder to justify. You probably won't see a wall being built. You won't see lots of infrastructure spending. That That's very difficult. But you are likely to see changes to personal taxation because it's very difficult if you're a Democrat to knock on someone's door and say, hi, I'm your Democratic candidate. I voted against your tax cut. So I think you're likely to see those come through. And that will, if anything, I think that's why that pushes the recession likelihood further out. But it does mean potentially more pain down the road. If you have monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus at a time when there's not much more capacity, that really is a recipe for inflation down the line. So I think by avoiding a 2020 recession, you increase the likelihood and potential severity of recession in 21 or 22. It's going to be fun watching the American politics in the months ahead, isn't it? Absolutely. And speaking of America, the America-China trade war, um, China's economic growth is looking pretty good at the moment. Can the Chinese keep it going? And is there still a place for Asian investments in our client portfolios? 
Definitely. China is a really interesting story and it is going to be for a period of decades watching this. What is the world's second largest economy, but still a developing economy? Watch it mature. We have obviously talked repeatedly about the need for China to, to manage its slowdown, but it is still growing at a breakneck speed compared to developed markets. We had the, the first estimate of the quarter one GDP reading in the last few weeks, and there we saw that was unchanged at 6.4%, ahead of expectations. Everyone expected that slowdown to continue. But 6.4% real GDP growth is very potent. You know, we we would probably do uh, do a lot in the UK or in fact the rest of the developed world to achieve GDP at that rate. So it is still growing at, at a pretty fast rate. And also, I think it's easy to underestimate how much stimulus has been pumped back into China. We saw last year tightening of conditions. And if uh, if listeners want to look at that in more detail, the Pulse piece will be up on, on the internet. And there, our CIO, CIO Chris Godding goes into a lot more detail about what's happening in China. But a lot of that stimulus is coming through. And the recent data have actually been very strong. We see manufacturing PMI, very strong services, positive as well. Retail sales, all of the normal numbers have been really surging on the back of this stimulus. So China is is a powerful economy and likely to stay. Some of the details, though, might be changing over the course of the next 12 to 18 months as they deploy their their longer-term strategy. A shift away from investment and export-led consumption to more domestically sourced consumption. And that's part of their long-term trend. And as they execute that change, we might start to see just a little bit of the mix of what drives the Chinese economy start to change. So, so we're still happy to invest in, in Asian equities for, for our clients, it sounds. Absolutely. And I think the potential resolution of the US and China trade spat, particularly in terms of the tariff war, perhaps not the strategic rivalry, the concerns over intellectual property theft and forced transfer, those strategic issues aren't going away. But in the short term, a resolution to that trade tariff is likely to be a, a bit of a catalyst for something of a relief rally, I think. Okay. I'm uh, just bringing things closer to home, and I'm going to get to Brexit eventually, uh, listeners on the line. But no, another thing which is buggy investors is the health of the Eurozone banking system. Any thoughts here? And why is the Eurozone so sluggish compared to the China and America, for example? The Eurozone has all sorts of problems, and it all comes back to having monetary union and fiscal disunion. A single monetary policy for what really now is a two-speed Eurozone economy. You have the Northern European countries, particularly likes of Germany, France, and the Netherlands, that are actually growing relatively uh, robustly compared to Southern Europe, where unemployment is still high. Parts of it continually lapsed back into recession. And it's very difficult for the ECB to really effectively manage that that whole uh, economy. And you also can't coordinate fiscal stimulus. We mentioned it in the US, we've mentioned it previously of the potential in the UK. Governments can very precisely deploy that stimulus. Very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to do that in in the European Union, where each individual government controls its own fiscal policy. There is a strong resistance to any sort of cross-border stimulus, uh, a lot of entrenched cultural issues there as well. So it makes it very difficult for the economy to, to really escape that quagmire. And increasingly, we're seeing stresses remaining in the banking system. There was some positivity earlier in the year when the idea that negative interest rate policies might be removed. Actually, it looks like negative interest rates on bank deposits are probably here to stay for a little while. That makes life harder for the banks. And given a huge amount of corporations in Europe 
rely on the banking system for their loans, that makes it a little bit difficult for the economy to grow and really try and escape the problems it has at the moment. So quite cautious on the near-term outlook, would you say, in Europe? Definitely increasingly cautious, if anything, as well as the, the problems it has internally. I think the watch point over the next few months is going to be the US. And as we see this resolution of the US and China trade dispute, there are overspills potentially to Europe through two main uh, th- two main avenues, both related to trade. Firstly, any resolution between China and the US is likely to involve China purchasing more exports from the US rather than elsewhere to try and balance up this bilateral trade deficit. And the concern is if you're buying more from the US, you have to be buying less from elsewhere. And it may be high quality engineered goods, electrical goods that historically have been sourced perhaps from Europe might no longer be sourced from Europe from the US instead. So that's one risk of the overspill. And increasingly, there's the likelihood that the President Donald Trump turns his ire in terms of trade warfare from China to Europe. And in the next few weeks, we are expecting a little bit more activity on the Section 232 auto tariffs. And in the background, we've had this review in the US as to whether or not auto imports, particularly from Europe, are considered, in inverted commas, a national security risk. Again, cover for potentially applying tariffs. So those coming down, potentially coming down the road. Okay, Ben, well, it's time to get on to to the big issue that potential clients and clients are asking about. It's that buzzing political mosquito. It's Brexit. What is the latest news, Ben? And and is the delay good news or bad news for investors? And how can Tilney help hedge client portfolios? Well, I think Brexit continues to be uncertain. And really, the ambiguity we've seen in in the latest changes, markets are really looking through that. There's a lot of Brexit fatigue in the market. Nothing has fundamentally changed at the economic or investment level. Businesses are still refusing to invest meaningfully into this uncertainty and this drag in terms of pent-up demand carries on. More interestingly, though, there have been some materialisation of Brexit uncertainties in the data, and this has really started to come through in the last couple of months. And if you look at headline reading, actually some of the data look pretty, pretty positive. You could look at industrial production activity, Looking at month-on-month figures, and there's a couple of months delay with these, but industrial production of 0.7% in January, 0.6% in February, month-on-month figures, these are are pretty punchy. And that means compared to a year earlier, actually industrial production of 0.1% growth sounds small, but markets were expecting almost a percent contraction. So well ahead of expectations. That looks good on the surface. And we've talked previously, PMIs, purchasing manager indices, are forward-looking measures. And there, in terms of manufacturing, we've seen a surge from 52.1 up to 55.1. And markets were expecting a contraction. 55.1 is a strong absolute reading. And if you just looked at headline figures, you would think everything is hunky-dory. That is a good number. But importantly, you have to drill down into the underlying components. And actually, then it's a lot more worrying. Because what's driving that, we think, is actually stockpiling. If you look at the sub-measures of input purchases, so these are what companies are buying in to produce goods, and also stocks of finished goods, so effectively what's going into inventory, these are running at the highest level since these indices began, which is 27 years ago. And stockpiling inventory building are not healthy economic activities. So the concern is, whilst it looks good at headline level, actually what's happening both in industrial production, which is backward, and what businesses are doing, they're having to significantly increase production just to stockpile. And that's a headwind going forward 
because as those stockpiles unwind, that will be a drag on all of the data. So these concerns are really starting to come through in the data, and it's something, as we repeatedly say, is, say that needs to get resolved before businesses can move forward. Well, we'll come back to that in future podcasts. Uh, that's all great stuff, Ben. Thanks. I want you to get out your crystal ball in the last two or three minutes and give quick-fire answers, please, to the burning issues of the day. Are you ready? Okay. Let's go. Will the UK leave the EU? I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to answer that, um, but, I, but I suspect some sort of fudge where formally yes, um, but there'll be a lot of interaction still. What's the outlook for sterling between now and the end of the year, do you think? Related to Brexit, it, it's going to fluctuate, but actually I, I think where it is at the moment, about 130 versus the dollar is about a, a fair value. So around that level with volatility. Will there be a UK general election this year, do you think? Uh, all, all, all signs... All signs point to that's the only resolution. Um, no, I think it might be early next year. I agree with that. Will UK interest rates rise this year? No, because interest rates are unlikely to rise until there is some sort of resolution to Brexit. Are we going to see a global recession in the next two years? That's a tricky one. What do you think? Your picking times are very close to, to, to the tipping point, which I guess makes it a good question. Um, I would say... Probably not in two years, but we might well be on the precipice in two years' time. Okay. Um, I think that's probably enough for now. So um, thanks very much, Ben, for, for your comments. That was really, really interesting. We'll be back again next month with a, with a new episode of the Tilney Podcast. If you've got any feedback, questions, or comments, please send an email to us at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of those that have been listening and giving feedback to the podcast so far. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that the next episode comes straight to your feed. And if you have a few moments, please leave us a review on iTunes. Also, if you want to keep up to date of when new episodes are coming out, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tilney Group.